Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Sometimes you're loyal to an organization because they represent something about who you are. You know, it could be the way you live, they're socially useful, it could be Apple, for example, that says, you know, something about who you are, provides you with some status. But even then, that's only useful to you as long as that organization keeps up that personality. What we're really talking about instead of loyalty is usefulness. Customers will stay with you as long as you're more useful than the alternatives. It's a small, but it's a significant difference. Today, I have John on the podcast. He'll give you a little background, but I'm excited for this conversation because he has some interesting myths he's going to dispel in this podcast. So welcome, John. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I want to go into a little background. I know you wrote a book. How did that come about? But also your experience before that book on that led you to writing it. Yeah, I've done a few things in my in my career. Started off in a market stall in England, selling a haberdashery to older people that I didn't really know what that was or what they wanted, and became a bank manager during the financial crisis, and ended up looking after customer experience globally for for HSB, HSBC. But I think yeah, I think the book's more interesting than that. So yeah, it's called Human Experience, and I guess it. It started four or five years ago. I was on holiday with my wife and my son. He was about four years old at the time. And we were on holiday in England. We were a day out on one of those big old steam trains, you know, beautiful old steam trains. And it had deep leather seats you could fall back into and nice oak panel tables you could spread food out on. And a lady coming down the middle of the aisle, handing out home-cooked goods. It was perfect. And my son kind of turned and said to me, Oh, Daddy, is this what it's like when you get the train into London every day? And so I just kind of laughed. I was like, well, actually, it's, it's completely the opposite of that. You know, I'm normally stood up in someone's armpit and lucky to have, you know, kind of cold, wet sandwich to be eating. And I thought, well, isn't it interesting that the sign of progress really is that you make things more efficient, but at the same time, you keep the level of quality at least the same, if not make it better. But it feels to me that organisations have been going the other way and perfecting this kind of functional experience but missing that emotional experience so that's what that's what led me to start thinking about the book and writing the book and then i looked at some stats and uh, in the u.s it's fascinating there's a, a survey called the national rage survey you might know about it and it started in 1972 when 32 percent of the customers said they had a problem with an organization and then that went up to uh about 66 percent just before covid and now it's at 74 percent of people so it's more than doubled in that time, despite all this technology we've had to make the experience better, people are less satisfied than they were before. And I think that's an interesting concept. So that's what I started to investigate and write the book about. Yeah, the first myth that you have in your book is that customer loyalty is a myth. What do you mean by customer loyalty is a myth? And what are some things that you back up in the book that go deeper into this? So I started thinking about this because it's such a well-used phrase in organizations. You know, we've got to earn customers loyalty, keep customers loyal. You know, I used to have a local cab company that I used quite a lot here in the UK. And they were great. They had, you know, loads of cars. You know, you could ring up to book. But you never really knew where the car was. It was always just around the corner and you could only pay by cash. That's a bit annoying. And then this thing called Uber appeared. So overnight, I stopped using my local 
cab company because now I had an app that had some cars. I knew where the car was. I couldn't pre-book, but I could pay by card. So I just started using that because it was more useful. And then about a year later, my local cab company released their own app. And now I had loads of cars that were local. I could pre-book. I knew where the car was and I could pay by card. So I just stopped using Uber overnight. Now, it might be I'm not a very loyal person, but what that's really about is usefulness. You know, It's about staying more useful than competitors and alternatives. There's no real loyalty there. And you'll see with a lot of organizations that have closed down in the past few years, it's because they've stopped being useful to organizations. And if you're not sure, or if your listeners aren't sure about this, if you think about a company that uh, you would consider yourself to be loyal to, if overnight they tripled their prices or half the quality of their products, you pretty much stop using them because they've stopped being useful to you. Now, some people would argue that that's not always true because sometimes you're loyal to an organization because they represent something about who you are. You know, it could be the way you live, they're socially useful. It could be Apple, for example, that says, you know, something about who you are, provides you with some status. But even then, that's only useful to you as long as that organization keeps up that personality. If, for example, you love Tesla and you bought Tesla because it represented who you were, but then overnight, I don't know, the owner of Tesla goes and buys Twitter and kind of destroys it and suddenly people don't think he's quite as interesting as he was, then that can start to impact you emotionally as well. So what we're really talking about instead of loyalty is usefulness. Customers will stay with you as long as you're more useful than the alternatives. It's a small but it's a significant difference. And the reason it matters is because if organizations and if leaders in organizations believe that their customers are loyal, then they stop trying. They focus all their attention on winning those customers and doing amazing marketing and amazing onboarding, which really, really matters. But then they stop trying. And all of that effort falls away because all of that money that they spent on bringing in and acquiring those customers disappears because those customers just walk out the door again because they believe they're just going to be loyal and stay and they're not. So that's the main point there that it's about usefulness rather than loyalty. And you need to keep winning those customers, keep being useful to those customers and not just take them for granted. Yeah, two points I'll make on that too is one with the Uber thing. One of the the biggest mistakes they just recently made was that they stopped doing their rewards program that they had because that kept at least me wanting to go back to their, like, for example, I'm a diehard Marriott person. That's because like, I know I'll get points. I know the points will relate to a free night or something. I know the quality of the hotels are great, but also like it's keeping a status in the in in Marriott that keeps me going there. But Uber stopped doing that, so now when I like looking for cars, I pull up like four different apps and find which one's cheaper. Yeah, but if an Uber kept the loyalty, I might have like not cared so much about the price as in I wanted to get the points to get like the five dollars off the next one or a higher status these things kind of really they can be quite fine margin particularly when you start to get lots of companies and apps that start to just kind of copy each other and it is some of those things that start to make you care and the mistake a lot of organizations make and i think uber have done this is they've replaced what could be kind of genuine usefulness by doing the things they do really well and maybe having some of the loyalty schemes around that with just kind of random offers you know things just popping up on the app every now and again hoping that they're still going to be as useful to you but they're not they've not got that deeper usefulness because they're so much easier to replicate so you have to offer things that only you can do because that's what's going to keep people with you if you start offering things that everyone can replicate well then you'll just be copied and you stop becoming unique or useful to customers in that way.
A lot of people focus on acquiring a new customer and they spend a lot of their efforts on doing it instead of focusing on ways like, how can I make the experience of the customer 10x better than it is right now? A lot of the time it's working with product because it's product has to, like you said, you have to do a feature that is like, 10x better or like a little bit better than your competitors that make someone stick because if someone could replicate that but also like one thing people can replicate is the people who give the experience and you've the, over over years like if you go to like and this is like a high quality example but if you go to a four seasons like the quality is like great but it's not amazing but you know in a four seasons the service is going to be 10x everything else like you call like they'll be there in a second like there's so many different levers that people can pull it could be product it could be service but you got to figure out like how are you better than the alternative and how can i make that experience way better i think a big part of that's ambition as well so you know there's definitely an element and you know what's called the human experience so there's definitely an element else to people within that you know, make a big difference. It's not all about people. Sometimes it's the people that are designing your products and designing, you know, the services that are going to be used. But they have to have that ambition, you know, to want to give that fantastic customer experience. But part of that is having the freedom to do it. You know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that I think organizations have become full of humans that just aren't allowed to act in a human way. You know, like people know, we got asked recently to go and help design an empathy training program. Well, you don't need to train people how to be empathetic. Like if you're sat in a bar with a friend and they tell you some bad news, broadly you know how to react. But what happens in organizations now, there's so many kind of policies and procedures in place that's restricting people's natural humanity and their behavior. You've got all these brilliant humans you recruit and then you immediately stop them doing the one thing that customers like the most, which is just reacting like a human. They can't use their common sense. They have to follow scripts, you know, they have to use particular templates or you hide them behind layers of call volumes or call buttons that makes it hard to get through to them. The organizations that do this best just let their humans be humans, give them the freedom to do that, set the ambition for them to do that. And then so much of that great experience follows rather than trying to restrict it and control every element. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I don't like about a lot of work environments is that they want people to turn on a different person when they go into a work environment. This is what the biggest problem with marketing, to, what ruins a lot of marketers too, because a lot of marketers now think, oh, I have to market differently because that person in work is different than that person at home. But it's not true. Like That person at home is exactly that person at work. Whatever ad you're going to do is going to relate to them at the same level. But We've got into this, like the word professionalism, like gets like convoluted for like holding back personality, which I think that like professionalism is different than holding back personality. And I think those two terms have kind of clashed in the workplace lately. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point because you, you can definitely be professional and hold professional standards, but still be yourself, still be authentic. You know, and again, that's what people want. Like, you know, it's turned to someone as we all are at the moment recently about chat GPT and about where it will replace and where it won't. And I think what's interesting is if you're a customer that's got a problem and something you want resolved, 
you can functionally get the answer to that most often in the you know frequently asked questions or in a using a chatbot. And I'm sure ChatGPT will come in and will come in and do that and create great stuff. That kind of functional response. But when people have got a problem, most of the time what they want is they just want someone that they can kind of run tap for thirty seconds, say the script that's in their head, say the thing that's been bothering them, bothering them. Everyone feels they're a bit unique, you know. So even though their problem might be the same as lots of other people, if they believe it's slightly different. They just want to be heard. They just want to say this thing, be heard, and then crucially have, like you were saying, an authentic human on the other end. He goes, yeah, I'm really sorry. I get that. God, that must be really frustrating or something that shows them there's a human on the other side as opposed to the, okay, and then sorry for any inconvenience, the standard replies and off they go. That just creates more frustration. If you can just be a bit authentic, a bit, authentic, a bit human, a bit transparent, that diffuses most of the problems customers might have and helps create that, that experience around that even if you then follow your procedure or your script after that too. And I think what one thing that makes humans amazing and why it makes like marketing hard and everything hard, but is humans are unpredictable and irrational people, but the unpredictableness makes them do things that are like incredible. Sometimes even as customer experience where like someone thinks out of the hat to like do something like a, AI will probably give you like the best response based on like what you've programmed it to do. But a human could come up with something that they've learned in the past from past experiences and their emotions. And maybe at the time it might go against the rules or go against like what normally happens, but it could create the best customer experience out there. Yeah, I think that's right. And there's, there's kind of... Yeah, in the, in the book, I talk about two examples. One's quite sad and one's a bit, a bit happier, but about where I think you really see that coming through. So while I was, while I was writing the book, my mum passed away. She'd had a long-term illness. And uh, I was in this little pub near the hospice that she was in. And I'd never been there before because it was quite away from where I lived. Well, at least quite away in UK terms. I think probably in America, it's probably fine, about 100 miles. But... I went into this pub and I just ordered some food and I got a phone call that said my mum had passed away. And so I did what everyone would have done. I just kind of grabbed my stuff and ran out and got in the car and went to the hospice as you'd expect. And I went back into that pub about a week later when I was going back to collect my mum's things from the hospital that she'd been in. And uh, I've been in there kind of two or three minutes and the barmaid came over and she went, so I'm really sorry, you were the guy that was in here last week, weren't you? And you kind of had to run out quick because I hope everything was okay. I kind of explain what happened. She's like, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. Like, you know, must be terrible. You, your food's on us tonight. Have your dinner on us. Have your drink on us. Just, you know, accept our condolences. And then about 10 minutes later, the owner of the pub comes down and he says, oh, I've heard what happened. I know you are in last week. We were talking about you. We're going to refund you the money from your dinner last week as well. And anytime you're in the area, just pop in, have a drink on us and we'll raise a toast to your mum. And it was one of those like just really beautiful human moments that you can't journey map that, you can't process it. Because the combination of events that lead up to that are quite unlikely. And then being in that situation is quite unlikely. You can only have that natural human reaction that makes it really special. And on a happier note, two weeks ago, I bought a new car. And uh, when they gave me the car and I opened up the boot, they put a big homemade cake in it with a big Volkswagen sign and the new registration number on it completely ridiculous you know this cake's huge i don't know what i'm going to do with it but you can't help but smile and laugh and again that's never going to be something that really comes out of any logical thought it's just a bit silly a bit ridiculous 
here's a cake, you've bought a car, it's in the boot, and you, ju- you just can't help but bring a smile to your face and give some memorable experience. Now, not all customer experience is about tiny specific moments and those kind of more surprise and delight things. But to your point, it's that unpredictableness that gives that kind of sense of, you know, I, I feel like there's a human here. I feel like I'm engaging with a human. And that's what makes the experience slightly special rather than just giving you a car and saying thank you or anything else that could have happened. It is that unpredictableness that lets you know you're, you're connecting with someone else, I think. Yeah, and I think one of the things that are going to separate a lot of people now that we're going on an AI automation revolution that's going on right now is that something that humans have against is the creativity and being human. So like if they can lean on those two things of like, how can I be more human and more creative and more empathetic? AI is supposed to just make you more efficient in your job and make you more, but it doesn't, this isn't supposed to replace like your creative ability to bring in your past experiences, bring in past emotions to your job today. Another thing that in your book is about customer feedback and how it's becoming, uh, what's the exact word you use for that, but it's, it's becoming an epidemic, yes. What are your thoughts? Why do you believe this? And what should people do instead? Yeah, yeah, I think it is an epidemic. We, um, we just kind of got this deluge now where you can't have any kind of experience as a customer without immediately being asked what you thought of that experience. Uh, and, that, and that's you know not great for a couple of reasons. It's not great from a behavioral science perspective because Daniel Kahneman talks around the peak end rule and the end of the experience is what you remember. And all of a sudden, the end of nearly all of our customer experiences is being asked to give up our time to fit in one of the feedback surveys. But it's also creating this kind of onslaught of customer data into organizations. Like we've never had more data coming into organizations than we have before. But the problem is all of that information is at what I call the thin end of the wedge. So if you imagine a, you know, your customer's life being this kind of wedge shape on its side, you know, at one end you've got, you know, the things that really matter to them, them, their lives, their hopes, their ambitions, their dreams, their friends, family, their job, their business, the challenges that get in the way of what they're trying to do, the services they use to help. And then right at the end of that is your organization, just a tiny pie in their overall life. But 99% of all of that information that comes into organizations is at the thin end of the wedge. What do you think about us? What do you think about our service? What do you think about our product? Would you hypothetically recommend us? And so it's creating this kind of belief in organizations within leaders that those leaders are close to what matters to their customers, but they're not. They're only really close to customers' opinions of the service that they provide. It's a really subtle but a really significant difference because it stops leaders going out and actually getting close to what matters to customers. As a business, we do that. We get organizations, we get CEOs to go go shopping with customers, to go go visit their houses, you know, to go and speak to them directly, to go and serve them on the front line. And it's only by doing that that you get to understand the contradictions in people's lives, you know, the things that they say that aren't true, the way they break the rules. I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, I worked with one of the big food manufacturers here in the UK on the future of convenience food, so kind of ready meals and microwave meals and food you just pick up and eat. And so I went to interview a lady in her house, and she was early 40s. She was a yoga instructor. She said she was completely into health and fitness. 
that she cooked everything from scratch, that she'd never use any kind of ready milk or ready food. And it kind of checked out in her house. She had loads of recipe books and ingredients, and it made sense. About an hour later, I went shopping with her in one of the big supermarkets, and we were going up and down the aisles. Then we get to the convenience food aisle, and about halfway down, we stopped. She picked up a ready-made mashed potato and kind of threw that in. And then she picked up a ready-chopped onion and a ready-chopped carrot and threw that in. So I stopped stopped her and said, well, hang on, how does this match up with what you said, that you cook everything from scratch? And she said, well, I haven't got time to peel and chop vegetables. If I come busy, that's ridiculous. Okay, so we carried on going up and down the aisles and we get to the end of the supermarket where all the chocolate and all the champagne and alcohol is. And I thought, well, we're not going to get anything from here because she said she's completely fit and healthy. But she just kind of swept in armfuls of chocolate and a whole load of wine and alcohol. And I said, well, hang on, how does this match up with you being fit and healthy? And she said, oh, well, that's girls' night on a Friday night. That doesn't count. And it was just this great example of how, in her mind, she just discounted that when she was telling me about who she was. She was giving me the projection of herself that she wants to be, that she wants to believe. And that's what happens in most traditional customer research. And that's what happens when we do those surveys. And that's why the answer, the only answer, can be to really immerse in customers' lives. So City Mapper around the world, uh, you know, whenever they move into a new city, they go and take a cross-section of their team and they go and live in that city for a month. And they move Airbnb every two days so they can really experience life traveling around that city. And a couple of the rail companies in the UK that are good, they insist that their leaders, their managers, and their marketers live somewhere along the railway line. So they have to use their own train every single day and wear their name badge so they get direct customer feedback. I think doing that real immersion is the only way around to really understand what matters to your customers rather than just relying on this deluge of feedback that comes in that only really serves to annoy your customers and give you a fake version of what really matters to them. Yeah, I also think there's like... A- I don't know the exact quote, but people that you need to follow what people do, not what people say. And a lot of times in a survey environment, people are going to give their like PC answer. Like they're like, or like the perfect example that came to mind when you were thinking about it is like, you know, in some toilets and restrooms at airports, they have like the, the little thing where you click, like sometimes like, the toilet isn't the best, but I tend to give it a higher ranking because like, I feel bad for like the people that have to do it. But like, if someone asked me like what I really thought about like the experience or like what I really like felt in the experience, it would have been a different than what I said in that experience. So I think sometimes you, and I think like Dan Kennedy said something like follow, follow the wallet, follow what, what people buy and not what people say. Cause like some people will say like, I want this, but they buying something else. So it's like, or like I buy this a lot and then they're buying something else. So like a lot of the times actions are what people actually do and not what people actually say that they do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we, we had a story in the UK of a, a new daily print newspaper that was launched in 2016 because the, you know, one of the big, newspaper companies here because they, they've gone out and spoken and the CEO said, you know, we've spoken to thousands of customers who've told us this is what they want. And everyone else was thinking, well, this is mad. Like, you know, 
the time when all news is going online, you're going to launch a new daily print newspaper. That was February 2016. And he was back on the radio in May 2016 explaining why they decided to shut it down that day. And he said, well, consumers told us they would do and what they did were different things and we couldn't persuade enough of them to change their daily routine. And you can see it because in the conversation, you kind of say, well, look, are you fed up with kind of 24-hour news and news through Twitter and everything else? You know, yeah, would you rather have it curated for you? I would. Would you rather sit and read it over your breakfast with a nice paper to turn rather than looking at your phone more screen time? Yeah, definitely. That's what I want. And you can see how you can build up that picture and say, this is what I want. But I don't know about you, but I've got two kids and as much as I'd love that for breakfast time, my breakfast time is absolute chaos. You know, I'm just like, you know, grabbing the kids, trying to shove clothes over their head, get food into their mouth, get them out of the door while getting myself ready for work. Just about remembering to grab my phone and then quickly flicking through to see what's going on in the world. I'd love to sit with a cup of tea and a nice big breakfast and sit and read the paper. That's what I would answer in some questions if those were the questions they were asked. But it's only by observing me you realise even if I don't want to admit it, then that's the kind of chaos that starts starts every single day. And, you know, you do need to do that observation. You do need to follow what people are saying. In fact, Eric Schmidt, uh, when he was at Google, he said um, something like, one of the reasons search is so powerful is that it's the only time that you can tell that people are really telling the truth. Because when you're typing something in the search box, you absolutely are searching for that thing. Even if you don't know why it's called, you're absolutely searching for that thing. And that might be different to the way you answer in the survey or, or the otherwise. Actually, I was talking to Richard Chardon and he said the same thing. He was like saying that you're not going to go to the search bar and not put exactly what you're searching for because you know that the answer is going to be wrong if you if you put the wrong response in there. But when you're talking to a survey, a surveyor or like something like that, is you don't have to because you're not trying to get like an output of what you actually care about at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. By the way, Richard's ebook is brilliant. Yeah, I, I spoke to him right after his new book came out, the, the Power Evolution, um, the Bi- Power Evolution, I think it's called. Like, yeah, so it's like, yeah, it's like the 16 hours. Yeah. What is the marketing hill you would die on? Well, I think I'd probably die on the fact that loyalty doesn't exist because I think that really matters. It's a kind of, even if it's just semantics, I think that that really, really matters to people. The other is that people will always buy people. I still think that's the case, you know, even if in your marketing, all the different ways you can do that marketing now, I think people still inherently make their decisions based on what other people do, based on the social pressures that are around them. And so it's not necessarily that they're buying an individual person, but they will buy into what they believe the social norms are and what they think other people tell them should do. Even if other things come up or even if they're trying to market in other ways, that maybe takes you down kind of a different route or focuses on some new technology. Ultimately, people are always looking for that kind of social proof. So alongside loyalty, I think I would, as you expect me to say, given the book title, you know, I think that kind of human element is always going to be important, even in a world where it's surrounded by the most wonderful technology. Do you think short-term loyalty exists? Is just the long-term loyalty? Like if someone in the short term, you know, people have done things to make you feel good so you stay with them a little bit but after social pressure and a better product then they do then they'll do like is there any bit of loyalty that exists that customers has or is it a long-term thing 
Yeah, I mean, I, I still wouldn't necessarily call it loyalty. What I think you do get, it's a bit like an elastic band. You might call it it's like elasticity of desire, I suppose, that the more good things a company does, the kind of the stretched, the more stretched that band becomes. And that means, you know, if they do things wrong, you know, you can, you've got a bit more to give and give and give. You know, you have to give them more things because they've built up credit over time and they feel your trust in them. So I do think that, you know, the more good things people do, the more likely you are to stay with them because they've earned that thing of trust and they've shown that they can be useful over time. And that's why there's always that's about if something goes wrong and the company fixes it well, you're more likely to stay with them because you've proved to them that if something goes wrong, you're going to help them out. But there's still a point with that holistic band snaps and it's still about being usefulness. And sometimes it might be lots of small things going wrong, erodes away that trust that you've got in them. Sometimes it could be one big, huge thing going wrong and they're caught up in, in a massive scandal and all of a sudden they're not useful anymore or they're not cool anymore. You know, you look at the blue tick scenario with Twitter at the moment and, and, and that's having there. So I still would never describe it as loyalty. I don't think, cause I think loyalty only really exists with individuals, friends, family, communities, sports teams, football teams. Maybe loyalty exists if you're uh, talking about small independent stores you know, that you know locally and maybe you know the person. But again, I think the argument there is the loyalty is to the person rather than the, the organisation. So, yeah, for me, it's more how trust gets built up and then knocked down again, but it's still about being useful and trust is part of that usefulness. Um, but the more you do well... The easy thing is, like, if that store, like, closed for a week and you needed that thing, do you wait, like, a week because you're loyal to that per- person or do you go get something else and then go back to that person. Like, and I know it's not really, but like a lot of times need trumps loyalty or immediate need trumps loyalty. What's a piece of advice you get someone starting their career today that they would come back to you two years from now and thank you for? I think the main thing, particularly when you're looking at marketers, is to get to the front line, go and, Spend time with customers. Go and whatever the business is you're working in, go and work on the front line. Go and work in the store. Go and work in the branch. You know, those, yeah, that's how my career started, you know, working with real customers, serving those customers. And that I think has stood me in good stead as I've gone through my marketing roles in my career and now running a, a consultancy that does this. Because you can remember, you remember those people, you remember those personalities you meet, and they really help ground you when you're coming up with fantastic ideas. You can think, what would that person think? You know, what would that guy think? What would that lady think? You know, we, we did this thing once where we launched a radio station in the bank branch and, you know, this customer absolutely hated it because we were the first bank to do it. Banks had always been silent up till that point. And he, he had a right go at me about it and he said that he loved classical music. He didn't like all this loud music that was playing. So I told him that actually they did play classical music at 9.30 every day and he started coming at 9.30 instead. And he came up to me a week later and he said, you know, this is amazing. I love coming in here now. I love coming in here in this classical music. And what was brilliant, it was a great lesson. At first, we need to really understand what your customers want, but also you can lead your customers and get them to change their behavior if you're providing stuff that's really useful. And that stays with me when I'm making up new ideas and propositions. Now. So that would be the advice. Probably not groundbreaking, but incredibly important. Get that time. Go and spend that time on the front line with real customers as you get seen you in your career still go and do it because the organizations and the leaders that do that they're the ones that come up with the best things and make things better for their customers as well so that would be my my bit it's a great reminder i think everybody goes to their busy days and forgets they need to do this and sometimes 
people forget the most simple things or the most easy things to do are are the ones that have become the most useful. And people always are trying to look for something that is groundbreaking and stuff like that. But usually like being with customers is not revolutionary, but you get caught up in all the things that you do in your daily life as a marketer and it's hard to do. So if you could figure out how to time block or talk with your manager or someone to say, hey, I want to spend more time with customers just to get to know them better. I mean, the best time to do it is consistently. So if you can figure out like consistently how to like set up time to do it, that's would be a win for you and separate you as for a marketer. Um, last thing is, where could people find you? Wherever you will find your book, um, I'll give you one or 10 minutes to talk about that. Yeah, I'm on the, uh, all the normal social channels. So the books, The Human Experience is out now in the UK and the USA, coming out in Australia in May. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, John J. Seals. I'm on Twitter, John J. Seals. I've got an Instagram, which is CX underscore stories, which is all customer experience stories. Uh, and I work uh, and I run the company called The Foundation. We're based in London, work around the world and help organizations reconnect with what really matters to their customers. But if you search John J. Seals, I tend to be kind of everywhere and anywhere uh, online. I've said a lot of people are nowadays, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for joining, and this has been great. People need to remember that you don't focus on loyalty, focus on usefulness. Yeah, absolutely right. If in doubt, be human. Thank you so much. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.